That's right. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, the Monday pod. We're sponsored by Betfair. We are Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. We're focused on all things EFL. It's a good time to be that because it's crunch time. George, in fact, you could say we're moving into the final few furlongs of the Mm. EFL season. Clever? Is that a Cheltenham reference? Mm. Or do you just like Darnell Furlong? (laughs) The greatest show on turf. Not a Darnell Furlong long throw, but 28 races, Tuesday through Friday. I know you'll be excited about it. Yes, I will be excited. Uh, I'm after recording this podcast. I'm heading in that direction uh, so I can be on course bright and early tomorrow morning. Just going to the one day, but I am very, very excited, as you say. Well, as you say, the greatest show on turf. Um, I think EFL football has something to say about that, but certainly one of my favourite sporting weeks of the of the year. Very on brand. Nicely done. Yeah, you've done lots of good preview content, as you do every single year. Absolutely must listen slash watch stuff. Make sure you look out for the Cheltenham Town squad. I think Sammy Parkin was saying on the Quest highlight show that Mike Duff had promised them a day out at the races if they <laughs> got the win, which they did. Uh, plenty of EFL chat to come. I did a, a Saturday blackout. I, I went completely off grid so that I could watch EFL on Quest without knowing any of the scores, which <laughs> is kind of, as you're doing it or as you decide to do it, equal parts exciting but mostly terrifying. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it just in terms of discipline, avoiding my phone. Um, but it was my much better half's birthday weekend, and I certainly owed her, well, a Saturday afternoon of, of attention rather than a Saturday afternoon of, of checking my phone. So, I mean, that is incredibly hard for me to listen to, given that it was also my other half's uh, birthday, and I went on a stag do to Bologna. <laughs> so you, you really mugged me off there. <laughs> and were you across the scores in Bologna? I had a few alarms. I managed to get through it. I sit down, 9pm on Saturday, EFL on Quest, Colin, Joby, Sammy P for the second hour, absolutely buzzing. And not to take anything away from what was a uh, the customary excellent two hours of entertainment from Quest, they weren't helped by what I think might have been the worst day of entertainment footballing-wise all season, George. Maybe it's because I hadn't been across it during the afternoon and so I missed out on all of the lovely in-game narratives that you get when you know everything that's going on across the EFL. But just under one in four games on Saturday finished nil-nil, eight out of 33. There were tons of bad refereeing decisions as well. Not a classic Saturday in the EFL. No, it wasn't ideal because this is going to be a 25 minute podcast where you and I just say yeah, it was nil nil. It wasn't great. No, never. Um, but no, you're probably right. Um, it wasn't an, uh, a um, a great weekend of, of football. But, you know, we're getting into that stage now where even things not happening means that things are happening. <laughs> there wow, you go. That's, that's philosophical. Mm. We are going to touch on some of the, the key results from the weekend and see how things changed in terms of the league table and in terms of some probabilities. We're going to be looking at how teams are set up heading into, as we're calling it, the last two furlongs. I reckon we're not quite in the final furlong. Still 10 games to go for the majority of teams. Uh, in the championship, well, it was a weekend that started with Huddersfield 2-0 up at West Brom with, what, 20 minutes to go. Baggies roaring back there to draw 2-2. And then in the early game on Saturday, Barnsley won, Fulham won was the full-time result. Birmingham and Hull drew 0-0. Cardiff and Preston drew 0-0. Millwall and Borough drew 0-0. Let's start with Bournemouth 2, Derby 0. Because in terms of significance, George, well, for Bournemouth, this was huge, really. Partly due to what happened beneath them 
as we will come on to, they massively boosted their chances of finishing in the top two to the point where one model I've seen has them at about 86% now for automatic promotion. 2-0 home winners against Derby. Could have been different, though. Yeah, it could have been. Um, it could have been different. Bournemouth, we've said over the last few weeks, haven't necessarily been at their best. And this was another game where, you know, it didn't feel until they went ahead, like necessarily this was going to be an easy game for Bournemouth. And that shouldn't be, I guess, a massive surprise given how solid Derby have been in recent weeks. And I think that Derby with Bielik playing uh, in that holding role and Tom Lawrence playing in a more advanced area, two players that, you know, in Bielik's case, have been missing for, for large parts of the season. And in Lawrence's case, um, his suspension recently coincided with a, a dip in form. Um, with those two players both starting, you know, and we saw what Ravel Morrison did um, in the game before this with his brace. It, it, it should have been a tricky game. So uh, for them to get the result was massive. I think Jaden Anthony's assist for Solanke's opener uh, is one of the best bit of bits of kind of creative wing play. Uh, is, it a, is it a double megs? I think it might be. Double megs, absolutely. Uh, even though he doesn't then, um, I think, you know, we can probably say he doesn't quite mean to just divert the ball into Solanke's path. But in terms of getting there, he did very well. Uh, and then Jamal Lowe um, showing again what good strength and depth Bournemouth have got, I guess. So, yeah, I mean... Uh, a regulation 2-0 win against a side um, battling to stay up, albeit because of a points deduction. You know, it's given what happened in midweek when they hosted a, a posh side who are in a relegation battle without any uh, points deduction. Uh, it was a much better and more professional performance. And as mentioned, probably even more important than the home win against Derby. The fact that only two of the eight teams beneath Bournemouth at the start of the day won over the weekend meant that their chances of automatics were only strengthened. Fulham, we should say, drawing at Barnsley. Harry Wilson missing... Well, first, I should say, Harry Wilson scoring a wonderful trademark Harry uh, Harry Wilson cut in and curl it top corner and then missing a late, late open goal uh, heading wide somehow when it looked easier to score. Uh, But Fulham realistically still have a a 10-game procession, most likely to the title, certainly to the Premier League. Uh, The 21st uh, 21st club model that I'm looking at has a 99% um, nailed on for automatic, 97% for the title there. So um, with apologies to Fulham fans, I think basically from now until promotion is confirmed and then the title is confirmed, we probably won't be dwelling too much on their performances and what it means because we will be waving goodbye to them fairly shortly, I think it's fair to say. So, uh, the playoff battle is absolutely the, probably the most interesting part of the championship, I'd say, at the moment. And, George, just looking at some of the results that were significant over the weekend, none more so than QPR winning 2-1 from behind at Kenilworth Road, beating Luton Town. Now, Aurel Nazmiu, who is from the 21st Club Football Consultancy, big on their data projections, probabilities. Uh, He shared with me this morning basically a table that shows how things changed over the weekend. And I can definitively say, backed up by data, that Rob Dickey's winning goal was in the championship the the most significant goal of the weekend. The win shifts QPR up uh, to 45% probability of making the playoffs per this model. That's a 16.8% rise on the day uh, and dropped Luton down, well, 9.6%. Still 40% to make the playoffs on this model, Luton. So all is not lost, but a huge turnaround win for QPR. And boy, did they need it. Yeah, they did. I mean, that's what I was going to say is um, you can you can take all your data, mate, all your numbers. You can give a, a quantifiable figure to what has happened, but... What about the unquantifiable? What about the belief 
that QPR are going to get, having been in such poor form, being 1-0 down. I mean, if you can tell me about it, then we've got all bases covered, don't we? Ah, I can't, no. I can't. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's intangible. But no, it's, it's, it's a massive result for them. Um, it, it, there are issues. You know, let's not ignore the fact that um, they had five shots in the game. One of them was, was a penalty from Andre Gray, which he scored. Um, Luton will feel pretty aggrieved to having lost this game. Um, but the significance now at uh, this stage is is massive. And and I think for Rob Dickey as well, a player who for the first half of the season would have had a shout to be player of the season in the championship. Um, and things haven't gone particularly well for him in the last few months. I've seen a few QPR fans wondering where his form has gone, not just his goal scoring exploits, but defensively as well. So for Dickey to get this all important goal uh, is also massive. Marshall um, will quite clearly feel aggrieved at the, 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 um, the Cameron Jerome goal, although, um, and, you know, Marshall's someone who, when he came in, um, in January, was, looked like a very astute signing when Dieng was was out uh, at AFCON. But since Dieng's um, been injured uh, over the last couple of weeks, Marshall's performances have left a little bit to be desired. But, you know, when, when you have two clubs, especially Luton, massively on the ascendancy and QPR kind of frittering away their promotion chance, really, uh, to be 1-0 down and to get that 2-1 win, massive in terms of taking points for yourselves, taking them off another team who you need to finish above. But also just stopping the rot is, is so important. And QPR's away form especially has been so poor. Um, so a, a big result for Mark Warburton and, and frustration for Luton. How did that corner even get to Dickey? There must have been two Luton defenders who ordinarily you might have expected to, to head away what was quite a sort of low whip delivery. And then how did Dickey sneak it in? Still bodies between himself and the goal. I have no idea. But the biggest goal of the weekend, absolutely huge. And very good news, really, for um, for the next few weeks, for the excitement of the championship playoff picture. Because realistically, those top two look done. But then you have a group of... I'm going to say eight teams down to Millwall. I'm talking Huddersfield, Sheffield United, Blackburn, QPR, Luton Town, Nottingham Forest, Middlesbrough and Millwall. Eight teams gunning for four spots. Some more likely than others. Huddersfield obviously in the strongest position right now in terms of the bookies and of the model that I'm looking at from 21st Club. Sheffield United look like a pretty, uh, well, a pretty high chance of making the playoffs, which isn't too surprising. But the rest of the spots really are hugely up for grabs. George Blackburn didn't help themselves. A home game against Bristol City, a city side desperate on the road, incapable of keeping clean sheets until this one. But what a ridiculous way for the game to, to pan out, essentially. Blackburn, understandably or rather predictably, in control for the most part, you'd say, in creating better chances, certainly. Uh, including a penalty from the returning Bradley Dack a year out through injury. Another year out through injury, I should say. Um, penalty given to Rovers. Dack steps up, saved by Daniel Bentley. Very, very cruel, it felt. Um, but for Bristol City, well, they didn't care one bit. What an amazing uh, day out for their fans because it wasn't just riding their luck to a nil-nil win but taking all three as well in pretty hilarious fashion, you have to say. If you haven't seen this goal, you need to find it because it's one of my favourite assists of the season. Joe Williams has the ball full to him, left side, just outside the box. And I'm pretty sure, George, he's just trying to waste time. I honestly Mm. think he's doing that sort of long shot, but essentially try and put it in the stands and then we'll get back into position so that we can see this nil-nil out and, and nick a point. Instead, he slices his shot. So much so that it, I, I was going to say it's going to go out for a throw. I'm not even sure if it would have had the legs to reach <laughs> the touchline on the other side. It's either a shank or a slice in golfing terms. A mixture of the two lands on the foot of Andy Vyman. And of course, 
you know, if Williams wasn't particularly precise with what he was trying to do, Vyman is absolutely always precise with his finishing uh, and smashed it in. Their first clean sheet in, I mean, genuinely don't know how long. I should have that in front of me and I don't. Uh, an amazing, amazing few days for, for Bristol City because, of course, they went viral just before the weekend for all the right reasons. <laughs> People very taken with their young defender, Riley Towler, and in particular, how seriously he took the question, are there more wheels or doors in the world? It's got to be doors, on it? It's got to be doors. All the houses, flats, buildings. Yeah, it's got to be doors. Look, door there. Yeah, it's got to be doors. Definitely doors. But I'm looking around now, and there's a few wheels as well. Nah, it's got to be doors. Defo doors. Obviously, you've got cars, but then you've got doors on the cars, haven't you? Looking around now, doors. There's doors everywhere. Doors there, doors over there. It's got to be doors, hasn't it? Now, that's the sort of frivolous conversation, George, that we won't concern ourselves on well, this podcast. What? I mean, I, I saw an answer that I, I think might just change the whole thing where um, my old colleague from Squawker, Greg Johnson, said, in every lock, you have a set of wheels. Well, of course, it's too frivolous a conversation for us to have on this <laughs> podcast, because I, gen- I honestly think we could be here all day. That's obviously why it's captured the imagination quite so much. I'm just happy to listen to Riley Towler say, it's Dory, isn't it? And leave it at that. Um, amazing day for for Bristol City, George. You were well. You thought there was some controversy that maybe wasn't discussed as much as it should have been. Yes, I thought the Bradley Dax penalty should have been retaken. Give him another go because he's had he's had such a tough year. We should give That's him it. another go. Yeah, no, I think there, there's clear encroachment from um, a Bristol City player to the extent that he's probably like almost in Dax eye line when he's running up to take it, which I think is okay. I mean, I just think you got to live by the rules, die by the rules, you know. So. <laughs> Uh, I think it should have been retaken, but I mean, it didn't matter. I liked um, the Weimann goal as much as you did. I find the fact that Andres Weimann is still a Bristol City's main goal threat when he's playing right wing back is quite fun as well. Um, but if you're if you're a Blackburn fan, you're just waiting to get that slice of luck. Um, and, you know, two big moments there, the penalty and then the assists and, and both go against them again. I don't think you've ever mentioned encroachment in six years of doing this pod. So now's the time. Yeah, for but it. It, it, it never happens like that. I mean, he was like, it was almost like he'd misjudged it. <laughs> Do you think Tim Closer thought he was taking the pen? Maybe. Was that how it was? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, he was miles in. Like miles in. It's normally like, oh, is he in? Like you're probably not going to give it because it's marginal. When you got someone who's done three strides into the box uh, when it's when it's kicked. I don't know, mate. Well, you Andy Vyman is now third in the division for goals plus assists behind Mitro and Dom Solanke. If you take out Solanke's penalties, which I think is fair because Vyman hasn't had the fortune of, of taking free shots at goal like Dom Solanke has. Vyman is above him, the second best player for goals plus assists in the championship this season. I'm starting the conversation as to whether Andy Vyman might be the most underrated attacking player in the championship, not just this season, but over... I don't know, five or six years, even going back to his time at Derby. Um, his record for, for Bristol City has been excellent throughout his his time there. And of course, he missed almost all of last season, having torn his cruciate in October of, of 2020. So um, it's someone that we want to celebrate a lot because he's not necessarily, for whatever reason, whether it's because he's established or a bit older or even because of his style of play, He's not the sort of sexiest attacker in the championship, but by goodness, is he good at what he does. Um, as for Blackburn, what can you say, really? What can we say? Because I think people more or less know where we stand when there's a team that over the last nine games have generated 11 expected goals, which isn't an amazing number, but it's not bad either, and only scored two. 
a team that's only scored, I think, three league goals in 13 games. But mm. George have only dropped from third at the start of that run to, to fifth. Um, there's still plenty to do. And I and I guess we'd both probably lean towards like understanding why it'd be so doom and gloom, so frustrating in the fan base. And because of the period of, of the season it is right now, the, the, the feeling is always like, well, that's us done. We can't score. We'll be dropping out of the playoffs. There's a lot of games to make up for this. And they're still in a very strong position. Definitely. And this run isn't going to continue. I mean, I know it's ridiculous to say when it's been going on for so long, um, but they, Blackburn are not a, a team who are struggling to create chances. They're a team who are just struggling to put them away. And um, there are too many good players playing under a manager who's consistently got them playing at a high level for it to continue. Um, it's going to be incredibly frustrating, but um, I would go as far as saying that if you think that because Blackburn are missing chances for the last 15 games and only scoring three goals means that they're going to keep doing that to the end of the season, then then you don't understand how, how football generally works. You know, this is just a, a really poor spell in front of goal, um, which is way too noisy to be anything to do with individuals being poor at finishing. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I suppose it could... Um, you know, it's going to start. If we see the the performances dip, then it's more of a concern. But I, I'd still be pretty confident that Blackburn's um, season between now and the end will will take a turn for the better. And and if it's a slice of luck they need, or if it's just, um, I I don't think it's as simple as saying it's Ben Brett and Diaz is out, so now they can't score. Um, there are enough players in there who can. So I mean, yeah, we'll see. But I I wouldn't be too worried now. It feels like. Maybe we're kind of approaching rock bottom for the season, and when they once they bottom out, then then maybe there's a chance they bounce back. Brit and Diaz sort of become even more highly rated without playing, as he did when he was banging goals in at the start of the season. He hadn't actually scored in five before his injury, but uh, of course his absence becomes well, just looks worse and worse at this moment in time. Forest beat Reading four nil. Reading not putting out much of a fight at the moment, and certainly when they come up against the better sides. And yeah, Keenan Davis fastest championship goal this season George 17 seconds now for context at the start of every not the top 20 podcast you hear a song called where do you want to go by new carnival Mm -hmm. you get some jaunty guitar music don't you and on 17 seconds my old friend from university max radford the front man of new carnival says when i'm walking down main street 17 seconds that that guitar music before he speaks is the amount of time that reading kept Nottingham Forest out of their goal at the start of that game. Um, they couldn't do much to keep Keenan Davis out. It was another sensational forward player performance from Davis. The only difference this time is that he kicked the ball in the goal twice. He's been doing this for weeks now since joining on loan from Villa uh, in January. It's so exciting. I just don't think there are... I still think there are people outside of Forest fans and Villa fans and a couple of others who don't realise how unbelievable his skill set is and how much even when he isn't scoring he brings to the team and how exciting it is that he is now scoring because he's someone who has never had a consistent run of games um, at a professional level uh, in order to to build that rhythm and that confidence in front of goal that, spike, that, that strikers always talk about. So the fact of, of being able to receive this uh, with his back to goal so comfortably with the strength to hold off defenders so easily and the skill and speed and agility and balance to roll defenders and run into space and the sort of trickery and feet footwork feet work footwork <laughs> to dribble past more players when he's when he's one on one you know running with the ball that there just aren't many or any maybe number 9s in the championship that can do all of that and 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 perhaps you'd say he doesn't seem as natural a goal scorer as some at this level but as i say who knows what this spell will do for his confidence 
Uh, I wanted to point out Joe Worrell's pass through to Spence after, well, probably 13 or 12 seconds, because that's the key moment of the game for me. You know, the first goal scored at that time, it ended the contest realistically, and it wasn't quite as good as Tosin's for Fulham that I banged on about last Monday, but it is it is some quality for a centre-back, especially if you're playing 3-5-2 or 3-5-3, uh, 3-4-3 rather. 3-5-3. And you've got wing-backs who are trying to, to get the ball uh, for cutbacks. Uh, on the byline if your centre-back Worrell in this case can play that pass consistently um, can 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 spot the movement of his wing-back and play the ball through defenders to the unrunning wing-back it's going to have well it's going to give you a lot of moments of joy like that so I thought that was excellent uh, and of course Ryan Yates as well just keeps on scoring signed a new contract today three years the Forest fans are loving Yates at the moment and it's great to see because We've kind of tracked his career pretty closely over the last five years. He went out on on loan three or four times. I think he had 65 senior starts before the age of 21. Uh, Scunny fans loved him. Notts County fans loved him. He was excellent in League One and League Two at such a young age. And, you know, was worth Forrest putting a lot of time and effort and patience into. But he hasn't always had it easy there. And he has sometimes been a bit of a target for, for certain groups of fans. Um, who who didn't feel like he had the quality to impact games at the top end of the championship. But Forrest are now a team who, who in the last six months, only Fulham have picked up more points than them. Second best run uh, record points-wise since Steve Cooper took, took charge. And Ryan Yates has been a huge part of that with his drive, with his energy, um, with, you know, he is good enough on the ball, but it's 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 everything else as well that's so important and so versatile as well. He's played centre-back, he's played centre-mid, he's played box-to-box, he's played holding, a bit of everything. Um, he's a, a, one of many Forest players who are in great form at the moment and Steve Cooper getting a lot out of them. I mean, other results probably did Forrest as much favour in terms of reaching the playoffs as their own, George. For example, Sheffield United smashed at the Rico. 4-1 to Cov. Yeah, the kind of result that I think Coventry threatened to do fairly often this season, but never really quite put it off. And unfortunately for Blades, you know, the in, the informed team coming into this one, um, there was always, you know, Coventry had the ability to hurt you. You've got a, a player in Callum O'Hare who we've known for so long, um, should score more goals given the areas that he gets himself into. Hadn't, hadn't scored an 18 coming into this, but got the two goals um, kind of in sandwich between Jokeresh and Godden. Godden's return to the side after his um, appendicitis has been a big plus for Coventry. And I, I don't think many people necessarily saw this coming. Coventry had 27 shots in the game um, up against a, a, a Sheffield United side under Paul Heckingbottom who've been when they're good, good at both in both boxes, and when they've been poor, um, still pretty solid defensively. So, is it too little, too late for for Kov? Um, you know, certainly it keeps them in the conversation. But at this stage, and again, you know, crucially taking points off a team who they are trying to chase down because at the moment it is Sheffield United who are sixth. Uh, they're the ones to be shot at, and Coventry just three points off them. Um, it kind of feels to me like of all these teams we talk about, um, Coventry are the ones where I still can't quite work out how they aren't in it. Um, their performance levels to me always feel like they are, are, are consistently very high with lots of good individual performances. And they haven't had a period of the season um, where they've, uh, you know, unlike Coventry, so unlike Forest, unlike Borough, the teams above them where, you know, they actually ended up parting company with their manager because things weren't going too well. So uh, a, a massive result for them. One of the, best well probably the best performance in the championship um on the weekend especially going one nil behind um and you know their their fans and, and mark robbins at home with covid um will hope that you know this is the result that can springboard them towards it rather than being um 
you know, a result that's just a little bit, maybe a couple of weeks too late. Absolutely keeps them in the conversation. And that's where you want to be, both at the moment in EFL terms, but also as Oscar Wilde famously said, there's only one thing in life worse than being talked about, George, and that's not being talked about. So just staying in the conversation at this point uh, is what Mark Robbins is up to. I've heard he's a huge fan of Oscar Wilde's work. Uh, and life. Now, Callum O'Hare had a good game, didn't he? I really enjoyed the quest tag on the uh, on the sort of um, on the on the analysis, which said all the fun of O'Hare. Really nice. I know that the I know that the team worked hard to provide um, thoughtful, clever, and original puns where possible, and I thought that was that was absolutely it. And for someone who has felt cursed in front of goal for some time now. The one that he actually scored had to be one where he like stabbed it in off his shin. I, I, I'm pretty sure he had seven shots in four seconds. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we had eight shots in the game and I went back and looked at his FB ref page. I reckon he had taken 34 shots without scoring before that goal over the last whatever it's been, 20 goals uh, games or so. So nice to see him. And then funny how football works, eh? Lovely finish with his left foot just minutes later. Um, the confidence flowing through those tiny, tiny veins. I mean, but Blades smashed Borough 4-1 in midweek and then got smashed 4-1 on Saturday. If that doesn't sum up the classic clam- championship cliches, you know, this is the championship we're talking about. This is the most unpredictable league in the world. You know, uh, I don't know what does. So um, excellent, excellent day for Cov. Down in the relegation places, well, we should say that Borough and Millwall drew. They're still part of the conversation for sure. I think an okay result really for Borough, if not, you know, the fans are a bit down after what happened in midweek, but probably realistically a good point out of context, but still work to do for both of those teams. A little more work for Millwall to do. They have to keep up this uh, this good run of form, that's for sure. Uh, down towards the bottom of the table, well, it's 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 four teams and only one of them's going to stay up, right? It's basically three from four going down. And at the moment, Peterborough, it looks pretty grim for them. It looks slightly less grim, but still quite grim for Derby. It looks slightly less grim for Barnsley. Uh, and Reading, the ones to be shot at on the right side of the dotted line. But I dare say their fans won't exactly be feeling hugely confident either. So an interesting situation, George. Uh, two of the four teams got a point. Barnsley against Fulham. And Peterborough against Stoke, pretty impressive, both of those. Um, and and the other sides, well, Reading and Derby, we've spoken about, got relatively comfortably beaten. Uh, talk me through that portion of the table right now. Well, it, I mean, it feels to me like Reading are the team who it, it's hardest to make a case for picking up. Um, you know, if you were to rank these teams in order now, I think you'd probably have Barnsley and Derby as being the the better two, and then Reading and Posh being the worst two. Um, Posh's recent performances have been a bit better. Um, whether or not that's good enough to to see them getting the points needed, you know they are six points back from Reading. Um, possibly not. They've conceded 20, 72 goals this season, which is just remarkably poor, and therefore have a, a goal difference, which means they're going to have to go past the team uh, in twenty second rather than just draw level with them. Um, but definitely with Barnsley, it feels like there is you know a very palpable shift in terms of where we can rank them this season you, you've got a derby side who who are a mid-table side based on what they've done so far and the points that they've won and their their kind of games won uh tally uh, and then you've got a barnsley side who i think are playing like one and and as frustrating as it will be for them to to have not held on to that lead against fulham it just shows how far poyaz baggy has taken them uh in, in the you know in the in the months that he's been there uh, and especially in the last couple of months they are playing much much better so I mean, who's likely likeliest to go down of the of the, or who's the likeliest to to stay up? Um, 
I mean, it's it's very very tough. I, I still think that Reading will have to improve massively to get out of this. Um, so if Barnsley or, or Derby can continue the way that with their current level of performances, um, that, then I think we might see one of them get out of the mess. Some lovely bits of quality in the Peterborough Stoke game. Uh, a really underrated take, I think, from Jacob Brown to open the scoring from Stoke, where it was one of those where, you know, the ball fizzed into him right side of the box, defended tight to him. If his three touches weren't as perfect as they were, that then he probably doesn't get close to scoring mm. a goal. Uh, the first touch um, was good. The second touch was the one that made it such a quick second touch with his weaker left foot just to put the ball into his sort of shooting motion and firing in the bottom corner. It was a really excellent play from Brown. Uh, then, of course, Clark Harris's goal was arguably even better. Fuchs, uh, who we've enjoyed a little Lovely bit. Hit. Yeah, we've enjoyed watching a bit of Fuchs since he joined right on, on deadline day, I think it was, with a little back heel into the slot. And Clark Harris just sweeping it home, the sort of goal that we hoped he'd score more of this season and have not seen enough of that, that's for sure. And then young Ricky J. Jones is someone who, you know, particularly Dara McAntony has spoken about a lot as being a future £100 million player or, or, you know, however Dara likes to express his excitement at his young players and their potential value in the transfer market for Peterborough United as being a, a young player with incredible speed and skill and someone we've been looking forward to seeing representing Peterborough at senior level um, a little more. He's kind of had bits and bobs over the last few seasons, but I think through injury uh, has has struggled to really um, stay fit and nail down a spot. It's difficult as such a young player. But 19 years old and uh, won a penalty here with, some again, some really good, skillful, quick-footed attacking play uh, in the Stoke penalty area. That, that really stood out to me. So uh, a good game. Went back and forth, two all in the end, um, but Posh need wins, I'm afraid. To finish off the championship, I want to, I want to introduce you to the championship beach. At uh, this stage of the season, you start hearing the word beach used a lot in football parlance, and I'm only going to contribute to that. Um, we're looking at different portions of the table. That really means the top, the playoffs, and the bottom. Let's not forget the beach as well, because I think the championship has the biggest beach of the EFL at the moment, 10 teams in it. And by beach, I basically mean, and I've got the the 21st club model in front of me with probabilities about how and where teams might finish, essentially 0% chance of relegation, 0% chance of playoffs, certainly 0% chance of, of automatic promotion. Now, I've got West Brom, Coventry and Blackpool and Preston in here. You can argue that all of them have uh, a chance of making uh, the playoffs. Coventry, the strongest chance of those three. Uh, but for whatever reason, the model that I'm looking at gives them a, a pretty small chance, probably because there's so much traffic in front of them in order to get in there, even if it doesn't look like many points that are needed. And then, realistically, Stoke, Swansea, Cardiff, Bristol City, Birmingham and Hull, just zero chance of anything. I think Hull probably have a 1% or 2% chance of, uh, of getting relegated if they lose every single game, but that doesn't look like happening. They look good enough don't they to avoid it as to Birmingham and Bristol City uh, and then that group above them Cardiff and Swans and Stoke they're all fine but they're on the beach uh, and there was a, a game of beach ball this weekend actually between two of these teams Blackpool beat Swansea 1-0 and the way this one played out George was Swansea had the ball Blackpool weren't fussed about that at all and when Blackpool had the ball they tended to get some decent shots off scored a goal from a set piece through Gary Medine Josh Bowler Mr. One-on-One could have added to his impressive recent form um, but a fair, a fair 1-0 win, uh, not a classic by any means. Uh, what about in League One? We had some massive games, George, didn't we? And they were yes. all draws, which is always a bit of a blow for the Monday mm-hmm. pod. Shrewsbury Oxford wasn't, so... Yeah, not a, not a massive game, that one. Uh, Ipswich nil, Portsmouth nil. Probably didn't do that much for either side, you'd say. Uh, MK Dons won, Wigan won. 
I'm interested to know who you think that was good or bad for. And then Wickham nil, Rotherham nil. Uh, we had a very, very funny Sunday scouting report from a, a Rotherham fan who said they shouldn't let these two teams play football against each other because it's just always a, a really terrible, turgid affair. We've played too many games against them in the last few years. <laughs> They're always in the same division. Um, what did you make of those three big fixtures in particular? What stood out to you? I, I think the Ipswich-Pompey, um, the narrative that comes from the game is exactly what you said. Um, you talk about likelihood of of um, you know of teams getting into a top six. And I think going into this one, you had an Ipswich and a Pompey side who both had a, a fair but, but not big chance of getting into it. And with every kind of dropped win, um, that percentage chance is going to go down. So for neither of them to, to get the necessary, necessary result is just a win for all the teams who are, are vying with them for those playoff spots. Um, same old story for Ipswich, I guess, where they probably felt like they were the better side. They probably felt like they, they mainly controlled the ball and had the better of the chances, but weren't able to be clinical enough to, to put Pompey away. Um, and that makes it their task very tricky. And it means that the game on Saturday at Oxford is is a huge one for both teams. That one, I think, will come under the massive header uh, come Saturday. The MK Wigan game, uh, again, if, if you're any side, if you're Oxford, you're, you're pretty happy with these teams just taking points off each other rather than wanting them, wanting them getting clearer. Um, a game of, of pretty few chances. I still think that that pitch MK is just not conducive to good games of football, sadly. Um, and... This was was basically that. There wasn't really a great deal to get overly excited by in the game itself, apart from just the late drama of MK getting the, the goal through Darling to keep their chase alive. You know, they're level on points, even though we're going to have so many games in hand. It does feel like this is a, a classic case, I guess, of, um, you know, you look at the table, you think MK are right there. But realistically, I think that we can probably factor in a few points for Wigan in those games in hand. Um, so it's still going to be very difficult for him to, to come back into it. And then with, with Wick and Rotherham, I think you hit the nail on the head, basically. There'll be a frustration from Rotherham's uh, point of view that they they weren't able to capitalise on the draws going on beneath them. Um, I think a win on Saturday probably would have put Rotherham um, into the territory of having one hand on the trophy, uh, but we aren't there yet. So, um, and, and, you know, Wickham are still struggling, I guess, to find their form from early in the season. Um, and unless they do so pretty soon, you know, they, they feel to me like a team at the moment where I keep thinking that they are further away from it than they are but um you know they're still in eighth they're still just three points off um six spot so mm. um mm. so we got this top 11 in the in league one which which until the weekend went right down to bolton but i think their defeat to argyle probably means that it's uh it's a year too soon for them um and within that top 11 and I say 11, you know, with respect to Accrington, who are 12th, they are six points behind Bolton. They are, they are well away from the conversation. Um, and within that, we've spoken about the teams that drew. That was the top three, Rotherham, Wigan, MK, uh, and the teams in 8th, 9th and 10th. So the teams that are there to be chased by the teams in the playoff places and the teams who are trying to chase down those in the playoff places all drew. But four teams in the middle of it, George, all picked up wins. Oxford United beating Shrewsbury Town 2-1. Yellows march on. Sunderland beat Crewe 2-0. Left it late. Dan Neal's opener came after the 80th minute. But Lovely goal, though. In the end, a, a, a comfy-ish 2-0 home win, which is what was expected, obviously. It means back-to-back wins for Sunderland. First time in a while um, at home to Fleetwood and, and to Crewe. Not ones to get overexcited about, but they're in a, a good position in fifth place. Um, Sheffield Wednesday winning 6-0 certainly the eye-catching result of the weekend, but potentially the the best and most impressive result, George, was Argyle going to Bolton, 
wearing a horrendous kit. Where the hell did that come mm. from? Why did the shorts not match the shirt? Hated it. Gross. How does yeah. that happen in 2022? Um, but winning at Bolton and there are As some... I've often said, football clothes at the end of the day don't matter. Could have been you wearing know, anything, you... wouldn't they? And it would have Correct. still been a great away win. Yes. Um, and, and that is what I, I was having this conversation um, with a friend of ours on, on Saturday, but where... In League One, well, I think often in these campaigns, it can kind of feel like the teams who who end up finishing in the best positions kind of end up just falling into place. Whereas this League One, and, and we knew this was going to happen in the beginning of the season, and I think the, under, the underperformance of certain clubs to start the season, namely Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, Portsmouth, has basically created this table now where the four teams who end up finishing in in those third to sixth places you're going to have probably MK, but the team who ends up not quite grabbing that second spot. And then the next three are going to be basically the, the three best teams in this little mini league where the quality is so high. And as, as, a, you know, as an Oxford fan myself, looking at our playoff campaign a couple of years ago where we, we faced a, a Pompey side, even, even though I quite rated, you know, the fan base themselves weren't particularly happy with their manager, Kenny Jacket, or, or basically any of their season that, that far. And then played against the Wickham side in the final, who were the biggest surprising, you know, the biggest outsiders to win promotion from League One for, for many years. Whereas now it's basically going to be like a, a little a, a miniature EFL Super League of um, of the clubs who are playing at a very high level. And if you were to start the season now, I'm pretty sure you'd have Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich, possibly Pompey right up there with Rotherham and Wigan in terms of, of quality. So and, and Oxford, you can probably add to that list, too. It makes it very um you know it's, it's going to be probably the most interesting and the most fiercely competitive playoff campaign i think we've seen in the efl since we've been doing the pod in terms of just pure quality compared to the rest of the league and that is exciting from a neutral's point of view but as a fan of one of these clubs um it does it does feel like a, a yeah a stellar renewal where only three teams are going to go up and given that two of them look like to be rotherham and, and wigan wigan clearly are one of the the kind of highest spenders and biggest punches in in the division but so many of these clubs who are now operating with a manager at such a high level, you'd only anticipate that they're going to strengthen further next season. Um, it feels to me like if you're a team with serious ambitions to get promoted out of League One and you're in one of those spots now, yeah, I mean, it's 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 not going to be easy and it's not going to get any easier. And so much talk from everyone, including us, about the exciting and much improved Sheffield Wednesday, the exciting and much improved Ipswich Town and Portsmouth. These are teams outside of the playoff places currently. Uh, Plymouth Argyle in sixth. They've got two games in hand over both Oxford United and Sunderland, who are three and one point above them. They've won three games in a row without conceding a goal. They've won. They've actually won seven of their last nine, five of them without conceding a goal, and they're just doing their business pretty nicely. And Stephen Schumacher, I think... At some point over the next few weeks, we're going to have to look at in a little more depth and give quite a lot of credit to for for keeping the good ship Pilgrim uh, on course because they're in a very, very strong position with those games in hand. They've got three home games coming up against Pompey, Accrington and Cheltenham. And yeah, it's sort of instinctively you look at the league table and you still feel like they're you know they're the vulnerable ones uh and yet i'm not sure they are necessarily uh at this moment in time wednesday's six nil win was quite good fun wasn't it when uh when barry bannon's playing like that he looks like the sort of older kid playing in the playground who yeah. just decides I- ironically small 
for the very, old kid. Yeah, well, old people can be small too. You know, well, I guess I was thinking, I was thinking more if you're talking playgrounds, like if you're you know you're a ten year old and you're ten year old and you've got a fourteen year old who comes and plays. He was he's just magnificent, isn't he? Um, mm. The way that he was slicing through the Cambridge midfield, normally pretty compact and pretty hard to play through, I might add. Um, scoring from range, then bouncing a couple of one twos and and playing in. I think it was Berahino. Um, sensational and and credit to Darren Moore for the very simple fact of basically quietening the disillusioned Wednesday fans and the Wednesday fans that may have been questioning him what two months ago three months ago quite a long way into the season I think the best way I can put it because look they weren't very good at the start of the season and Darren Moore wasn't doing anything amazing but what I think he has done is just problem solve you know fairly Mm. slowly necessarily um, some teams start the season brilliantly and so you instantly give the manager a high mark out of 10 but not every team's going to be like that and particularly dealing with a relegation dealing with some horrible injuries it's not as easy as, as just starting on a clean slate and uh, and in fifth gear and I think he's been problem solving pretty well throughout the season uh, you know we've always been told he's a, a pretty good man manager who's very popular with the, the players that, that play under him um, and maybe, just maybe, it's taken some time to get the best out of Saido Berahino. But potentially, looking at the finishes from the weekend, we might have a sharp, fit, motivated Saido Berahino for the first time in, well, since I was about 10. So uh, there you go. That's pretty exciting for, for Wednesday. Cambridge, of course, uh, one of the teams that you'd say not a huge amount to play for. We'll get on to League One's beach in just a second. But yeah, just to tie up the top of League One. You've got Rotherham and Wigan still heavily favoured to make the top two. You've got MK Dons not favoured to, to punch above them, but highly favoured to, to make the playoff places. And then as, you, as you've as you kind of put it, three places at the moment that look very much up for grabs and still seven teams uh, gunning for that. Some of them more likely than others. Wednesday, Oxford, Argyle and Sunderland, probably the strongest. And then Wick and Portsmouth, Ipswich, still some work to do. <coughs> at, at the bottom, well, if the championship is three teams from four. League One with its four relegation places is quite clearly four teams from six, George. Uh, I'm talking about the four in the zone, uh, Crewe, Doncaster, Morecambe and Gillingham, and then AFC Wimbledon and Fleetwood Town just above it. Of that group of teams, they all lost on Saturday, apart from Gillingham, who beat Doncaster 1-0. And they instinctively feel like the, the, the only team of that group with upwards mobility, I would suggest. Yeah, and, and a reason for it, which is so important when you're looking at these teams, um, you can often see poor teams gone to the runs, but there's been a quite clear um, uptick, upturn in performances under Neil Harris. Uh, it looks like a an inspired appointment, unsurprisingly, given what he's done before. Um, we spoke when Steve Evans was sat and said it felt to me like Steve Evans, given his track record, it was probably having a net positive effect on Gillingham. But that might have been the case, but they've certainly brought in someone who's having a, a better impact and is getting a much better um, reaction from this side. You look at their their last two wins away at Lincoln and away at Doncaster, talk about picking up points against those around you, and they've done it on the roads um, twice in, in, in just over a couple of weeks. So, And especially when you when you go one lap away from home in within a minute, um, it, it's not the easiest thing to do, especially when points are so important. Um, and I was impressed in the way that they were able to manage the game um, going forward from there. So... It, it looks at the moment like they'd be the most likely ones to get out of it with AFC Wimbledon going through a crisis of confidence, of form, uh, of everything, really. Um, they have to, it, you know, now that they're level on points, 
Gillingham with AFC Wimbledon and Fleetwood above them, it, it kind of feels like if Gillingham continue the way they go, then not only they're going to stay up, but they're going to stay up uh, pretty cosily um, with games in hand. Donny fans watching their team get beaten without scoring by a, another team in the relegation zone, not a great afternoon for them. And I think even more specifically looking at the dugout, looking at the different appointments that their clubs made when they were really struggling this season, seeing Neil Harris in the Gillingham dugout and rookie manager Gary McSheffrey next to him. Uh, I think the, the fans were holding that up as a, uh, you know, as a way of criticising the, the way the club's been run and, and perhaps a lack of ambition to stay in the division. I think when we talk about the League One relegation scrap, we, we have to at least acknowledge how good those teams towards the top are, let's say the top 11, as I've called them, and how much of an impact that's going to have on an ordinary weak team in the league. And we've seen that with Donny and crew this season. They have found it desperately difficult to take anything off the top teams. Uh, and then it all comes down to how you do against the teams around you. Wimbledon, as you mentioned, on the longest winless streak in the EFL this season across all three leagues, 18 games without a win. They were six points above the relegation zone at the start of it. They haven't won in, in over three months and they're still above it, albeit only on goal difference at this point in time. But Fleetwood, equally, George, in, in terrible form. You know, there was a moment where it looked like they'd started quite well under the tutelage of Stephen Craney. Now they're just incapable of getting over the line. And we saw that uh, on Saturday. Their 3-2 defeat against Burton made it, I think, 11 or 12 games without a win. The last four of them all defeats. And they were 2-0 up here. 2-0 up after an hour. Uh, and then Umar Nias, formerly of Everton, quite the pain in the ass for Fleetwood. <laughs> 3-2 win for Burton. Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, four defeats in a row um, for Fleetwood now. And I think, is it six games where they've conceded two or more goals? I mean, that seems to be the issue here, is they've got a manager in, in Stephen Craney who um, doesn't seem to have, you know, in terms of a bid to stay up, it seems to have been a lot of emphasis placed on... Um, on attacking and basically working out how to score more goals in the upper, whereas actually, if you're going to be conceding two or three goals a game, you're going to get relegated. Um, and nothing possible, you know, in terms of of where their season is to go two 0 up away from home and, and and concede three goals, it's going to make it very hard for the next time they go ahead in the game to to manage it. Things don't get much easier midweek. They go to Wickham, um, and then after that, they have probably the biggest game of of well, their biggest game of the season. You'd have thought by by a fair bit when they host Doncaster because that is. The one game that you want, it's up against the side who are in the relegation zone themselves, um, who you can basically relegate by beating them. Um, but, but the way it's going at the moment, you know, they, they would wish to come into it in better form. Um, and it, it does feel like that Burton result and the, and the manner of, of their defeat uh, is going to make it difficult for them uh, from here on in. And, and Craney is a manager with no experience in terms of, of, of doing this before. So, um, yeah, tricky. Good Saturday afternoon in Southwest London for Imps fans. Lincoln City beating Wimbledon 2-0. The better side, the more confident side, the side with the better attacking players, that's for sure, uh, and 2-0 winners. They've just been toying with their poor fans all season, haven't they, Lincoln? It's like, you know, go on a horrendous like five or six game run, look like we're sliding towards the relegation zone, crack out a couple of wins, and all of a sudden we're breathing much more calmly. That's them right now. All the way up in 16th now, nosebleed territory. Or maybe not for a team who were, of course, in the playoffs last season. Uh, but they've leapt above Charlton, uh, who lost to Accrington, and Shrewsbury, who lost to Oxford. That takes us to the beach, the League One beach. It's not a great beach, if I'm honest. Eight strong. 
I'm putting Bolton in there after their defeat to Argyle. I think that ends any uh, small hopes they had of reaching the playoffs. And then you've got Accrington, you've got Cheltenham, you've got Burton and Cambridge. All of those sides, you know, I don't want the beach to sound like a derogatory term. There's nothing wrong with being on the beach at this stage of the season. And, and all four of those clubs, for different reasons, should be applauded for having uh, avoided the relegation scrap. Charlton, you can't say the same about that. Things are, are pretty horrendous on the field for Charlton Athletic at the moment. And there's no more update than what I said a couple of weeks ago which is at this point you just have to decide whether you're going to grit your teeth get to the end of the season and make some decisions when things are a little less emotive when you've got a bit more time to think rather than playing constantly and losing constantly as the case is at the moment uh, it's at that period where I think everyone needs to, to sit down calmly and discuss what the right way forward is because at the moment um, it, it's obviously it's not good enough they've lost what is it six of their last seven games the other being a draw um, they're going to be fine, as I say. That they're, they're, they're beach-bound, but they're pretty unhappy on it. Sandy. Sand in all areas there. Uh, uncomfortable stuff, for sure. Uh, League 2. Some big games. Some big wins. I think mm. in terms of uh, improving one's probability of reaching the top, Tramir's win against Mansfield on Friday night, 3-2, is probably the most significant. But Newport County's win at Stevenage has done them the world of good as well. Let's get our teeth into it I actually think George the top of League 2 maybe not the very top of it but the the, the top portion of League 2 I think it's the best bit of the whole EFL because we like the League 1 relegation battle sorry we like the League 1 playoff battle playoff battle we like the championship playoff battle but League 2 can I chuck two automatic promotion places into the mix as well as far as I see it right now there are 10 teams that's from 2nd to 11th for six spots, basically. Two autos still up for grabs and then four playoff spots and four teams to miss out. I think this is the place to be at the moment. You've joined the line at 11th. You're keeping Sawford in on 49, but you're taking Harlepool out on 48. Correct. Interesting. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it, it's clearly exciting. And, and I think Boris Green's wobble um, adds another layer to it where not only have you got North, Northampton, Newport, Tranmere all, all, and, and the others below them, uh, they'll be starting to wonder if there's any chance of, of actually being able to win the league as well. Um, although this is a debate we've had quite often in the past, whereas actually how much does it matter when you win a league? Uh, surely it's just getting the, the uh, promotion achievement that's the, the most important thing. But no, I mean, I agree. And, and it feels like this is because of the amount of teams in this mix. Uh, we're seeing games between um between them fairly often and you know friday night i think was one of the most enjoyable um games we've had in league two in recent weeks with a, a Tranmere side who've been uh very poor in recent you know the one point from the last five who hadn't been playing well hosting a mansfield side who've who'd basically turned the table on its head gone from the relegation zone up into the um playoff places and typically of course it's the uh the out of form home side who, who who win the game and finally um put a defeat on mansfield but that it feels like it's happening pretty much weekly at the moment with those teams they're having big tussles between them and even though it's important because of the nature of the league um you know things are changing very quickly as well you're not wrong there i think that there's a, there's a, a small sense, and it's to the benefit of Forest Green and their wobble not actually having as great a significance as ordinarily a team at the top of the league being winless in six would have. feels like whoever goes into second and third spot then just drops off a little bit. And it, it's what we've spoken about before, that, that quite difficult to measure um, sort of hunted versus hunter vibe. 
Uh, Newport have punched their way into third with that win against Stevenage. Tranmere now um, just below them in fourth. Northampton still in second, but picking up a really disappointing defeat uh, at Carlisle. It's only one win in their last five for Cobblers. So everyone's just kind of jockeying for position. They're all incredibly bunched up, and it, it, it feels pretty much impossible to make a prediction at this stage. I've been quite sweet, and I think you have been too on Newport County for a few months now. So with them being in third, I suppose I'd be feeling relatively bullish about them staying there. I really like the way that Robery manages everything, really, both tactically and, and in terms of how he speaks to the press. And he seems to be very, very level-headed, which I think will help in a, in a playoff push, uh, in a promotion push. But then you'd say maybe his lack of experience would go against him compared to some of the managers up there. Uh, Exeter are there, as they always are. Uh, in fact, although they're in, in fifth, they've got the second highest points per game behind Forest Green because they've got two games in hand. So games to make up. There's that uh, wrinkle, of course, already. Mansfield are ninth, and they've got the third best points per game. So that gives you an idea of how chaotic things are right now. In in terms of the weekend and, and results significance, uh, yeah, of course, Tranmere's win against Mansfield did them a, a world of good. So did Newport's win at Stevenage. Uh, and in terms of taking a hit, yeah, Northampton's automatic promotion places, looking at the 21st club model, um, dropped uh, probability dropped 9.4%. Mansfield's dropped 5.3%. And Sutton, in their defeat, I think an exhausted Sutton United, having made the JPT, sorry, the Pizza Trophy final in midweek, dropping by about 8% as well. So uh, it really is fl- just very hard to work out at the moment, as you can tell by me continually stumbling over my words uh, but uh, we should give a shout out to Bradford City because they went to the new lawn and it was two cooks spoiling the the vegan broth that was Callum Cook <laughs> and Andy Cook um, first goal of the season George that involved a goalkeeper being up for a corner and the opposition streaking downfield and scoring hopefully not the last as we know every good cook needs a spark mmm <laughs> Your look on your face is absolute confusion. It's amazing. Is that because of Bradford City CEO Ryan Sparks? No, it's because of Bradford City manager Mark Hughes. Sparky. Yes. And their go. CEO surname is literally Sparks. You can see. Well, there you go. Confused. Two Sparks. You think you can have two hobs on the go at the same time? Two Careful, cooks. that's a fire hazard. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is it, it's a huge. Well, I say it's a huge result for them. It's it's a big result for what they want to do. Um, I, I don't think it's going to have any bearing on on. Well, I mean, the fact that they finish like 15th or 13th, maybe. Um, but Bradford's, and, and I guess in a way, um, I've seen some of their fans, although I'm not sure I agree with it, basically saying they needed to get the points just to stay up because they run had been so poor. Um, so I guess in, in terms of getting to 43, but I think we can all be fairly confident that was never going to be the case. Um, but but a big win for them. And, and I think that is the crucial thing for Mark Hughes between now and the end of the season is, is just getting everybody on side, getting the players and the fan base and getting everyone united um, and to kind of, I guess, get everyone to, to believe that he is there for the project for the long run. Um, you know, I thought watching his interview on Saturday after the game, standing in the corner, at, at, you know, you know, at, at New Lawn, um, basically saying, you know, we've, we've come here. You know, this is a guy who's managed Manchester City in the Premier League. Um who had aspirations to win the division. You've got him in the corner of New Lawn saying how difficult a place to come it is. And, and of course, he's right, you know, irrespective of, of Forest Green's recent uh, poor, poorer run of form. Um, you know, they're still a very good side and and uh, Alex Bass made a lot of good saves to keep his side in it. You know, you're, you're not going to go um, to Forest Green and play them off the park and, and restrict them to nothing. When you win, you have to do it slightly living on the edge. And, and that's what they managed to do um, with crucial, as you say, crucial bits of uh well 
the two cooks certainly in terms of Callum Cook who was very very good to start the season he was good at the back end of last campaign but he's had a very quiet few months um yeah a, a massive result for them but for Forest Green you've got to we're now going to kind of see I guess what Rob Edwards is all about there was talk about Forest Green's difficult run of games where they had Newport they had Salfords um had Sutton as well the, the games look much easier now and that started with the visit of Bradford's um but they've now got Leighton Orient and Colchester in the next two and then Scunthorpe after that so th- they really should be able to get the points needed in that run not only to to re-secure top spot and they've been pretty lucky that the teams chasing them haven't really um been picking up the points to, to close the gap in the last couple of weeks um but not only should they do that but they should also be able to play themselves back into some form as well Elliot Neville Elliot Neville Elliot Nevitz double providing the difference uh, for Tranmere against Mansfield what an exciting game that was and then Bristol Rovers 3 Harrogate nil stands out because well a because of Bristol Rovers' excellent recent form and quite how good they are looking at the moment makes them a pretty tasty prospect, I think, from here on out, being just outside the playoff places at this moment in time on 57. Uh, And, I mean, three of the best goals you're likely to see, I would suggest, in League Two this season, all in one game. Two of them from Aaron Collins, and one of them from Elliot Anderson. I I think it was on the betting show a couple of weeks ago I picked Bristol Rovers to beat, was it Stevenage? And I spoke about both of these players, uh, and it's rare that I get to look quite good just a few weeks later. I spoke about Aaron Nonsense. Collins being a really streaky striker, but someone who I, I I really like for the most part, but just not always a very reliable finisher. And boy, is he streaking. That's now six in eight for him. More goals in the league since Valentine's Day, which was one month ago today, than he did in the six months before Valentine's Day. Um, so he's an excellent form and scored two beauties, a curler from range and a lovely, confident little dink over the keeper that he'd have never scored um, what more than a month ago and then Elliot Anderson uh, on loan from Newcastle occasionally you get a loan player who, who starts playing and you realise they're in the wrong league and, and that's certainly the case for Anderson um, Joey Barton uh, really showing why sometimes mentioning a manager's contacts book and that being quite important in the loan market does actually mean quite a lot maybe that's a good sign for Bradford City and Mark Hughes next season because Barton presumably leaning on old links at Newcastle to get Anderson in um, he showed a few flashes in his first few appearances that got me quite excited. And then he's just grabbed hold of things completely. He scored a magnificent solo goal. And I think when you've got him and Anthony Evans on the pitch together in those attacking midfield roles, you just have two players who are technically so much better than the level. Uh, if you can get the right group alongside them, particularly in terms of legs and physicality, you're always going to do pretty well. Uh, they have got two 20-year-old championship loanees at centre-back as well, which I think should be mentioned. Connolly from Stoke and Taylor uh, sorry, Connolly from Cardiff and Taylor, who's been all there all season and thriving all season on loan at Stoke. He is someone I, I could see getting some Stoke City minutes next season, depending on how they approach the summer. Uh, but hopefully, if he's not going to be involved, then we'll see him at a higher level, maybe with Bristol Rovers, because if they do punch their way into the playoffs, you would not want to play against them. A big win for Port Vale at Crawley, 4-1. Uh, we spoke on last Monday about how Vale's issues in front of goal might be what holds them back because they're always good defensively very reliable on that front four goals here against Crawley always seems to be Ben Garrity scoring from midfield doesn't it whenever Port Vale uh, unleash hell on an opposition and maybe that doesn't reflect that well on Vale strikers but um, Garrity very very popular there and understandably so and then the big narrative of the weekend in League 2 George came at Swindon where John Sheridan was in the opposition mm. dugout where John Sheridan 
showed the finger to some, I think it was the family stand uh, as he left the pitch. Uh, an unhappy man because of a late, 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 late Dion Conroy winner for Swindon. A therapeutic win and a therapeutic goal, I, I believe, for Conroy, who, from how he responded, how he reacted and what he tweeted after the game, I don't think he was a very big fan of John Sheridan. And, and that goes for the whole of Swindon town. So that was a big goal as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to think of a, a match where one set of fans can adore a manager so much and the other and the other have such a low opinion of him. Uh, and that's definitely the case with Sheridan. So for Swindon to get a goal in the 96th minute to um, to, to, to bring a halt to uh, the Chez Erection talk um, will we'll feel pretty smug for them. And as you say, for Conroy himself, a, a player who played under him too. So, uh, And it's also a massive win for them because they're one of these teams we're talking about where Every time you drop points in that in that top six, you seem to drop a couple of places. So uh, Swindon have, have been there themselves. They were they were kind of towards third and fourth, and they fell out of it. And now, having put a couple of wins um, in the last couple of weeks, they're they're back in in the mix as well. And, and after what was a, a pretty tricky time in terms of, of losing key players in January and injuries too, so it, that is the kind of win that you think will put them in a in a pretty strong position for the for the upcoming well for for the run in basically. Can we call it the run in? When does the run in start? Forty. Um... It's the business end for sure. It's not the right. running yet. I think okay. I think last six has to be the running. That's the final okay. furlong. We're still a couple of weeks away. But we yeah. have got a full slate in midweek. So everything we say now is going to get old pretty quickly. And yeah. then a lot of action on Saturday as well. It's just, it's an amazing time. I'm like a kid in the candy shop at the moment. But because I'm eating so many football sweets, I'm struggling to actually express myself. So I think my pod performance is suffering from it. Um, we'll use that Swindon 1, Oldham nil result to, to go down towards the bottom of the table, George, which looked very lively about two weeks ago. Uh, but actually, particularly Carlisle United, who will only ever win football matches under Paul Simpson, and therefore it's only, what, three years till we can expect <laughs> to see them in the Premier League um, winning that game. Who did they beat? Northampton Town, uh, late, late show. Uh, gifted it, really, by a, a strange handball from Fraser Horsfall. And then Cole U have, have done themselves some real favours recently, in particular uh, their win against Scunthorpe on the weekend. That uh, made them very, very likely to stay up from a position a few weeks ago where, again, they would have felt pretty nervy about it. Uh, Leighton Orient are quite an interesting one because in terms of points and position, don't look particularly safe at all. O- only five points above above Oldham in 23rd. And Oldham, despite that defeat, have been playing pretty well under, under Sheridan to the extent that teams above them w- will be nervous. Um, but Orient have got that strange quirk where they're right down there, but they've got a plus six goal difference. And... More pertinently, they've just hired a manager in Richie Wellens. I wanted to ask you about that appointment. We touched on it briefly last Monday. He's now in the building. You've seen clips of Wellens taking training, standing in the dugout as they drew uh, on the weekend a nil-nil at Hartlepool. What do we make of that? That The bookies think they are very unlikely to be relegated. I dare say their fans aren't feeling quite so confident. No, I wouldn't say I am either, really. Um, we still haven't seen them win a game of football in any competition since the 7th of December. Um, you know, that was me and you after that game, went home, sat on my sofa and watched the first session of the Ashes. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> Traumatising. <laughs> that they're, they're not playing well. They, they should have good enough players um, to be much better than this. But until we see some evidence of the turnaround, and my other concern is that, you know, in Wellens, they've got a manager who, yes, he did a, he did a magnificent job in keeping Swindon up. Uh, sorry, in taking Swindon up. Um, but he's not someone who we've necessarily seen come into a club 
midway through a season and, and get an, uh, an immediate reaction. He, he did okay in his first job at Oldham in, in pretty difficult circumstances, but he didn't do too well when he came into Salford mid-season. Um, and then we know at Doncaster things didn't go to plan either. So you're going to be asking him to do something he hasn't done before. As I always say, if he's good enough and if he's the right man, it shouldn't really matter that it's not his specialism. Um, but they go to Forest Green first up, I guess. On one hand, it's the best time you can play them, but... I'm still pretty confident that Forest Green are the best team in the, in the division, so uh, that's not going to make it too easy. Um, so I'm 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 pretty worried. I mean, they have got. I think once they get through the Forest Green game, their fixtures are not too difficult, and they have the opportunity to pl- play the likes of Barrow and Oldham, um, which you know will give them the, the possibility of pushing themselves clear. But I, I don't really see how you could now have any confidence um, that that they're going to be okay. Well, Oldham are really the, the key question mark here, aren't they? Because they're, they're currently, and we should say Scunthorpe United are given a 0% chance of staying up um, by anyone's model. Uh, and in fact, quite apt because I'm pretty sure almost anyone that did League 2 1-24 to predictions had them in the bottom two as well. So I think we'll be waving goodbye to Scunthorpe down to the National League. Uh, Oldham are the ones, aren't they? They're still in 23rd. Uh, they've got a three-point gap to Stevenage and Barrow, but they've played 34, Stevenage 36, and Barrow 35. And certainly, in terms of performance level over the last... I mean, even if you stretch it to six weeks or so, they they do look a much more confident, comfortable side. So even though they are currently the bookmakers' favourites for relegation, my instinct, George, is that Barrow and Stevenage look, look really vulnerable and that it will be one of those two, you know, in terms of my ratings right now with 10, 12 games to go, that drop into the National League. Where do you stand on it? Well, last time I sat here and you asked me that question, I said Colchester. And now, as you just said, they're basically out of it. So um, I might do an alley and sit on the fence. Or, I mean, it. yeah, I think Stevenage looked to me to be in massive trouble. Um, and, you know, you called it early that their performance levels are, are, are very, very low. And, and I think Barrow, are, yeah, are also looking um, pretty perilous as it stands. Um, I would probably agree with you. Although I do wonder now with Oldham, you know, after that initial brilliance, that is now for their winless in. Um, so they do have to find a way to to turn it around. And their next few games aren't easy. Um, but they do have they have four home games in a row coming up after the midweek tra- trip to Warsaw. Um, three of those games are against sides who are trying to get promoted next to Sutton and Mansfield. So, yeah, I think we'll know more then. But I, I still would now having thought that Oldham looked like they were ready to get themselves out of it. Um, you, you wonder if the initial impact, I mean, they're, they're quite clearly still a better side than they were, um, you know, under Salim Benashur uh, a couple of months ago. But, um, but they're, you know, they're, they're still the ones playing catch-up. I, I feel like, I take your point about winless in four, I feel like each of those games in isolation, they've been either okay, okay. and unlucky yeah. or quite good and unlucky. So... Um, given how little I'm seeing from Stevenage in particular and Barrow right now to suggest that they've got those sorts of performance levels in them. Um, it's uh, it's pretty intriguing. Barrow, kings of the draw at the moment, five in their last seven. Um, they've got a game in hand over Stevenage, which is a positive, but they're so desperate travelling away from home uh, and they have got an, one more away game than they do home game. So it's very, very difficult. I'm sticking with my call of Stevenage because since I said that they've shown nothing to, to prove me wrong but I'd be very concerned about Barrow and I'm probably a little hotter on Oldham than you are at this point in time just to go back to Carlisle looking at the 538 uh, projections uh, which are updated week to week on the 22nd of February which is what three weeks ago uh, 538 reckon that Carlisle's 
chance of relegation was 43% and that was the second highest. Now it's 2%, <laughs> which is amazing. And what they've done is absolutely incredible. And, and yes, the win on the weekend could easily have been a draw and we'd have been slightly less gushing in our praise. But it's great fun to see a club have a turnaround like that. It's even more fun when it's someone who represents the fans so well, who they purely love. There's not enough of that in the EFL. So it, it's uh, it's good to see. Uh, and Cole you just to go back to that win against Scunthorpe, some really good pieces of individual play, in particular from Noah Chilvers, um, their mm, performances in the last Brilliant run weeks. for the first, wasn't it? Yeah, looks to have got them over the line. Now, League Two, as I said how much I like the top of it, probably my favourite part of the EFL. It's also got the smallest beach, which I think is another tick in the box. The largest <laughs> battlefield, the smallest beach. Just, just, a, just a cove? Yeah, just a small one. Just a sort of hidden gem. Uh, where if you go if you go early, George, you'll get a good spot. Uh, you'll get good sun coverage all day. You get a very a very sort of welcoming sea. Uh, and over the course of the day, you'll be joined by Hartlepool United, uh, Crawley Town, Harrogate Town, Walsall, Bradford, and Rochdale. So all you know, just good good people coming to join you on your beach. Um, that's the group of teams that I think it's very likely or realistically have no chance of going up or down at this point of the season still with 10 games to go. So there you go. We've chatted through it. I think next week will be a bit more match analysis-y. There'll have been two rounds of fixtures by then. Pretty exciting stuff at the moment as we approach the final furlong. Um, good luck to George at Cheltenham tomorrow. We've got a full slate of VFL Thanks, fixtures on Tuesday or Wednesday. We'll be back again on Thursday, won't we, with a, another betting show. Really looking forward to that one. Big thanks to our sponsors, Betfair for sponsoring this podcast. Big thanks to anyone who's coming to see us at the Leicester Square Theatre on the 19th of May at 7pm. You're in for a treat. Just over two months away. We're going to hit the two-month klaxon at the end of this week and then we're going to start working like beavers. Um, we'll be back again on Thursday. We hope you'll join us then. Hope you've enjoyed this 70-minute whiz through three magnificent football divisions. Go well, everyone. Have a good week.